0: Hello. 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 And welcome to Pioneer's Post Podcast. Social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world.
1: There are lots of ways one might define a good leader, and many figures one could readily select as examples. But at Pioneer's Post, we're interested in a specific kind of leader. We're looking for those leaders who are both trying to make a difference and doing business differently. These are the leaders treading that fine line between money and mission for the benefit of people and planet. So welcome to the Good Leaders podcast with me, Tim West, founding editor of PioneersPost.com. Hello and welcome to the Good Leaders podcast with me, Tim West from Pioneers Post, and my guest today, Aziz Minot from Two to Three Degrees. Aziz, welcome.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me, Tim. Really, really, really excited to be a part of this with you.
1: That's a great pleasure. Um, So look, tell us about Two to Three Degrees, your organisation. What does it do? Where are you based? Um, And what's your role?
0: So Two to Three Degrees is a personal development company for young people. So essentially, we help young people learn practical life skills. Some people may call it soft skills, but we call it things we all wish we probably learned at school, um, such (laughs) as confidence building, communication, teamwork, resilience, and also addressing the big question of what is failure, but also how to overcome it. So just mm. working through trying to achieve certain goals. And so that's what we do with young people. Um, we, we we typically work with young people 14 to 25. And we're across the country. So the work that we do, we do sees us in schools in colleges, but we also run lots of different programs, personal development focused programs in the community as well. Um, and this could look like helping young people learn the personal development skills that they need for their future but also marrying this with developing their sense of work readiness and that's what we call like an employability program and then we have another called youth voice which is helping local young people close in proximity to a development a housing development or regeneration development of some kind Mm -hmm. learn about what's happening in their local area develop key skills but crucially have a meaningful say on some of those developments as well
1: so yeah
0: we're really wrapped around um, and like I said yeah we're based all across the UK but we also try to focus on working with young people who we call the forgotten middle who they're at school they may not be regarded as the gifted and talented young person and they may not be the young person who is at risk of social exclusion or school exclusion or Mm. risk of crime Um, But the young people in the middle that if with a little bit more support, they may better understand what life choices that they want to make for their Mm. future.
1: And I like the idea that you were explaining of sort of plugging them into their local community as well and understanding the dynamics of their local community and what they can do to relate to that community and support it.
0: I think the thing that's really important about helping young people access opportunities in their local community is there are so many good and great things happening around them, but sometimes Mm. they're just not privy to being able to access it. And myself and the co-founder Carl Qunadu, we grew up in inner city London and as young people from black and African and Caribbean households for us in a lower socioeconomically deprived area that some would say, you know, having access to these opportunities seemed far from us. Mm. Um, And so when we came out of uni and we started like trying to get new opportunities. we really had to push against the tide that wasn't given to us. so for us setting up the company that really showcases these local opportunities to young people is so important because we've even seen a young person come into one of our workshops and he said, "I never thought I would ever walk into a building like this. I didn't think that working in a place like this would I would see people like me and right. he lives opposite. So we really do need to try and break down some of those barriers in order for local young people to kind of have access and to get insight and to be inspired by where they live.
1: Mm. I want to go back to a phrase that you used earlier, which I thought was a great phrase, which was what we all wished we learned at school and didn't. And maybe that's what you're getting at in terms of, you know, particularly the missing middle. But maybe just explain what some of the things you mean by that.
0: Yeah, so... I went to an all-girls school
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and throughout my time at the all-girls school I was regarded as um, an academic achiever right luckily for me that meant that I was pushed in different ways to pursue additional academic subjects yeah but what I wasn't taught explicitly was how to understand who I am as an individual Mm -hmm. now growing up as a young woman navigating different choices I needed to make that became very apparent later on in life so just to paint the picture so I went to an all-girls school in East London with multicultural people mm-hmm. I go to a sixth form that is a really well-to-do sixth form in Essex and because of my academic grades I got in
1: mm-hmm.
0: one of the subjects I took was politics and I was the only woman and the only black person in my class Sitting in those conversations and talking about politics from a completely different background sometimes had me questioning who I was as a person and also what I wanted to do. Yeah. So it's really important that when we're take when we're talking to young people and we're educating them about, you know, subjects and maths and all of these things that are somewhat important, we have to help them see the full picture of why mm. they're doing certain things and actually not knowing how algebra can be important to you, whether it is going to be important later in life, is really having a lot of young people disillusioned with the education system. Mm. And we all know that the education system hasn't much changed. So how are we helping young people fill what the working world is saying, our skills gaps and business gaps and future gaps, if we're not helping young people have the right mindset to approach some of those new jobs? And so for us and for businesses alike, they're really noticing that Attitude is so much better than aptitude.
1: Hmm. If you
0: give young people the confidence to be able to articulate why they might be good at something or the skills that they have, then they're going to be better equipped to be a valued asset in the company when they're starting rather than what grade did they get at university or did they go to university at all. And so for us, it's really important that young people have that within themselves and are not searching externally for that validation.
1: And I guess you being in that politics class as the only young woman and the only young black woman felt a sense that there were lots of other people from um, different backgrounds who you you were getting an education and um, knowledge about the power of politics in that class and how politics can affect your life and other people's lives but you also had a strong sense that lots of people your friends weren't getting the knowledge that you were getting to understand how that could affect them.
0: A hundred percent. And speaking directly to how we even set up two to three degrees. So mm. when I went to university, I went to university for clearance. So that meant I didn't get the grades as expected. And therefore I had to apply for a different university that would accept me for the grades that I did.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: At exactly the same time, Carl experienced exactly the same thing. So we end up meeting in our first politics class, which was international relations and politics. At uni? At university, yeah, Coventry. Which one? Uh, Coventry University. Coventry, yeah. Yeah. Um, And for so many reasons, I took that subject. I I actually originally wanted to do acting. Hmm. And then I felt like the industry was too unstable, so let me do media production. But luckily for me, I got to work on set. And so I spoke to lots of behind the scenes people and asked them what their journey to work was. And many of them said they had history degrees and psychology degrees and English degrees. And I said, well, I'm not going to go to university, study media production if I could get in to the same career just based on who I know. Hmm. So I thought it would be smarter for me to, st- to study a degree that sounds smart called international relations and
1: politics
0: (laughs) for the purposes of being able to navigate back into that world yeah but I get into Coventry university fruit clearing and now I'm more determined to prove a point I have to get a good grade because I didn't get one before I'm not in a Russell group uni now so now I feel like the world is stacked against me again Mm. additionally Carl experienced similar feelings like feeling like actually this is the first time I've tasted failure as a person so what do I do with that so we journeyed through um we often were adversaries in our class although (laughs) we were friends we would always secretly try and get better grades than each other um, and kind of speak to each other about what our results were etc and then one day our lecturer said to us what is the biggest asset that you have in this university experience and we said Obviously, you because the fees are so high. Hmm. And he said no. And the, that same um, time, this university was talking a lot about the library they just built that was millions of pounds. And we said, okay, well, then it's the library. Perhaps you're saying we're not in the library as much as we should be. And he said, no, it's you guys in the room. Hmm. Um, and instantaneously, me and Carl looked at each other and was like, ah, uh, this competition thing we're doing is kind of a bit wrong. So from that point on, we peer mentored each other we peer each other to overcome first of all the feeling that we were a failure we wanted to really focus on how do we work smart and not hard to achieve great results in academics hmm. but thirdly at the same time the news was saying that graduate unemployment was rising hmm. and so then we really had to be in our bonnet because we was like we've gone through this whole process and you're saying that i'm not going to be able to get a job in my respective career like that just felt mm. like a slap in the face.
1: And stacked up so, debt as well.
0: Yeah, on top of that, exactly. So we started peer monitoring each other in university, but also outside. So we became really resolute on getting a job in our industry. So now I'm mm. forgotten about acting because I'm so focused on proving the statistics wrong. yeah. So we would travel down to London or to different like international events and tell each other and encourage each other. Okay, when you go speak to this person, ask this question, take their business cards, email them three days, no more than three mm-hmm. days later, um, and really have a direct request, but also offer something. And so all of these things that we didn't learn in school about how to navigate the business world, how mm. to, you know, have conversations networking or how to speak on panels, was something that we kind of taught each other. Um, And so by the time we were getting ready to leave university, we already had a job secured in international relations and politics careers. Hmm. And so we were doing well and we were doing, you know, really well. We were being asked to speak on lots of different platforms as young people, but our friends weren't. And so it was there we realised school didn't teach us these things that critically we taught ourselves. Here is the product and the result of that. How do we help share it with other young people?
1: Right. But you had jobs lined up. So what what made you get together and launch your own business together then?
0: So Carl and I have a really unique relationship. And we have done since we met each other at university, Mm. which is we were the friends that we didn't think we were going to stay friends. But we were friends enough that we knew, like staying close to each other, we pushed each other. So whether that was originally as like competition, secret competition or to kind of the peer mentoring. There was something we knew that was special about our relationship. And every time we would talk about new opportunities or goals or goal setting, because now this is the mindset that we have um, really focused on personal development. And many of our friends wasn't really having this conversation with us we carried on kind of pushing each other in a forward momentum Yeah. and outside of work, once we graduated, we got a lot of speaking engagements and oftentimes we'd call each other and ask each other and coach each other about how we're going to deliver this talk. So we got a bit of a buzz for it, but again, we were doing it separately. We said, you know what, we have something really special here. Like somehow we're able to garner so much from this personal development stuff and we're so annoyed with society that school didn't teach us why don't we be the ones to try and help solve this problem yeah so we had had a call and we said oh, do you know why don't we set up a why, would, why don't we write a book about it we're like yeah nah because most of our friends wouldn't read the book Because we used to read a lot of books and listen to a lot of podcasts and watch loads of motivational videos, but our friends wouldn't even if we sent it to them. Mm -hmm. So we had to do something that was everyone's face at the point at which we thought it was necessary, which was in schools. So we asked ourselves, how do we get in schools? And we're like, well, we have to set up a business then, surely. Like, that's the only way we're going to do it because we can't be teachers because if you're teachers, then you get sucked into the system
1: yeah.
0: and you're going to have to do a lot of paperwork. And we don't want to be teachers. We want to sit on the periphery and do it as an add-on and let, let's just try and change the school system like that. So that's what we did. It was just two young people full of energy, full of ambition, <laughs> frustrated but wanting to change the world at the same time.
1: Fantastic. Did you have jobs at the time? Did you have to give up your jobs, or did you do did did you do two to three degrees initially on the side while you were earning money elsewhere? So how did that work?
0: Yeah, we had we had really great jobs. So I worked um, in politics. I worked in local politics. Then I worked in regional politics. I was a political advisor. Carl mm. worked um, in the Commonwealth Secretariat. Um, doing sport for diplomacy so traveling around the world trying to convene different countries together then he also worked in sported so it's a sport organization trying to bring together um, better access to sports and all of that good stuff and we set up the company whilst we were working but it's important to say that whilst we had full-time jobs carl and i are very um enthusiastic so we didn't just have tell. jobs <laughs> we had we probably had um trustee roles at the time we also were committed to lots of different voluntary organizations as well so we had loads of things that we were doing but we definitely we we made the time to do this so we would meet up after work would go to like a hotel or a coffee shop like sit in there free public space and work from there we'd work on the weekends take up my mom's living room with flip chart papers and pens um take over take over his parents house so we'd find so many different pockets and opportunities to work together um and that's how we kind of ran the company for a while until I got a call after work one day and Carl said where are you I said I'm at home he said I'm coming to your house and hung up (laughs) I sat in my room like interesting And so I went downstairs, I spoke to my mum and I said, mum, Carl's coming here and I think he's got something important to say. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be a shocker. And by this time, we were really set up the company. Hmm. And he came to my house and he's pacing and he said, "Aziz, I'm leaving my job. I said, Carl, we don't have any money for you. He's like, I know, but just trust me, give me a chance. Like, I just feel like us investing more time in the business is going to be what we need to do to take it to the next level. I don't need money. It's fine. We're going to be fine. I'm just going to work on it. And then as we keep growing, I'm going to take salary later on. But don't worry. I'm just willing to make the sacrifice right now. And I was like, okay, cool. So we had not much money at the time, but we still committed to kind of like paying him a peppercorn rate and just carried on building the business from there.
1: So tell me then, what was your business model and how did you make money? What, What was your... What was your plan to make money and to make impact? Mm.
0: So for us, it was always important that we were a business and not a charity.
1: Yeah.
0: For us, it was important that schools and other youth organisations put their money where their mouth was in order to make sure they appreciated what you we were trying to do. So our business model is business to business, essentially. So at first, we started just selling directly to schools. So this could be like one-off workshops or a talk or, yeah, those two products were the only two that we had at the beginning. And mm-hmm. there, was no, there was no thought at that time about long-term or how yeah. would we keep doing it? We just needed to increase the amount that we did. And then we started thinking, okay, no, we actually need to make this more sustainable So, and also more impactful for the young people. Mm. So if we meet a young person and we do a two-hour workshop, And we noticed such great change in just two hours. How much more change could we have if we worked with them three times, six times over the, for two hours every week. Right. So we got really excited about seeing that potential growth in a young person. So we started pitching to schools saying, we want to sell you a personal development program. Um, And we started building that out and we worked with um, one school, and I can't lie to you, it was a challenge, Tim. Like me and Carl would leave that session because we were facilitators obviously at the time as your co-founders, yeah. you do everything. And um, we, we would leave that session. I think that was so hard. Like I don't even know if we're doing a good job, mm-hmm. but we would read the feedback. And then the feedback would be the thing that just keeps motivating us to keep going, to keep pushing. And particularly with that school, funny funny story, like three years later, Carl was... Um, being a judge for a kind of a borough enterprise award like not an award but a pitch pitching thing yeah and some of the young people who were probably the most challenging in those sessions were the ones pitching that day and their articulation and their focus and their charisma said carl said it blew him out the water and it really made him emotional because we know how much that session was really challenging but to see them later on in life do so well was really really amazing and so yeah anyways so we started off we started moving towards programs of schools and now we've got a model where we have workshops still but we also have the employability programs which could be funded by trust and foundations we have the personal development programs that can be bought by schools pretty much anyone Um, and then we all have the youth voice programs which are focused on property developers architects and those alike
1: so a mix of different revenue streams and programs um importantly as well some of which some of which are foundations some of which are schools um do individuals pay you as well or do the individuals always come free
0: the young people yeah they Mm. come free so they get to come for free and they sometimes get paid for their attendance as well or they get incentivized in different ways but Yeah. yeah for the point of the young person it's always free
1: okay and then how do you how do you know you're making an impact
0: for us we track young people's feedback So we do this in the form of surveys or live visual activity-based feedback as Mm. well. And we often try and get them to reflect on their journey that they're taking part in. So an example could be, we go into a session, we don't know any of the young people, and the first thing they're greeted by is a handshake from us as they walk in and ask to be sat down. The first thing we then say once they're settled is, what are your first impressions of us? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: They shout out a few things and we ask them back. Therefore, what do you think our first impressions of you are? So instantly they're having this ability to be able to kind of reflect on them as a person and also how they're being received in the Mm -hmm. same way that we are also being judged. But then we ask them, why do you think that question is so important to ask? So now they're thinking to themselves, okay, it's going to be important when I go into interviews and how I present myself. And so we're helping them to work it out for themselves. So we get that feedback, particularly when we're listening into the sessions as well. And it's so rewarding because by the end of it, you get to we get to ask them, you know, would you recommend this workshop to somebody else? What did you get from it and Mm. how would you apply it later on in life? And so some of the feedback is just so amazing. Um, But it's always been important for us from the very beginning to try and gather that data because that data is ultimately our proof of concept, but also showing how
1: effective we are or aren't. Yeah. So you can use that to tell you and to tell your potential investors and those who are paying for your services, well, this is what we're able to achieve. But also you use it for yourselves to get better at what you're doing.
0: A 100%. And The reason why the impact for us is so important is because when we were starting, when we were speaking to lots of different people, they were saying there's no there's no money in this business. Mm -hmm. Like, go and do something else. Care about young people from afar, maybe volunteer on the side, carry on with your boards. But don't do this as a business because one, no one knows really much about personal development. And if they do, it's only a particular older demographic that will pay for it. So why waste your time when schools don't have money? And so we've always had a point to prove, whether that be to the system itself, that's not set up in this way yep. to ourselves as facilitators, which is what you're saying in terms of needing that information to learn from, but also to the funders who some funders don't fund this work. So we have to convince them Yeah that although you didn't explicitly say that you want to do this thing with this fund, we are still putting an application in, and this is the reason why you should be open to funding it.
1: So can we get into the numbers now then? Can you tell me yeah. what sort of money you made in year one, turnover and profit, and mm. where you're at now with the business?
0: I think it's also worth saying that I've, I've been a market trader previously. Yeah. And as a market trader, you have to prove your concept first. So yeah. Carl and I were committed to not putting a penny in the company and to making it make sense and know what the money was. Yeah. So that's how we started. So we've bootstrapped ever since. And so we started in March 2016 mm-hmm. and we incorporated in December. And I think in from March to December, there was around 6000 or so yeah. that we made. We didn't take much money from it. We were just paying... For things Expenses, like I guess. pens, yeah, pens, mm. richard, anything we needed to deliver the workshop. And then, in what was our official first year from December
1: mm.
0: or January onwards, um we started growing bit by bit. So, we grew six thousand first first year, 13,000 second year, 30 odd thousand the third year in terms of turnover. And last year, we did over 600,000.
1: Brilliant. Profit margin? It varies. So
0: the first two years seemed greater than before, but that was because we wasn't really paying ourselves properly. Yeah. So anything can look good if you're not doing the right thing. Right. And so this year, I think, is the first year that we're actually we're actually paying for things as they should be. So my team used to know that if we could get if we could get software for free, make sure we get it for free. Yeah. But now I'm like, no, we have to invest in this software because that improves our efficiency. That improves the rate that we can turn over and get new business. And so, yeah, that's a very different shift. And some of our older staff members are like, wow, Aziz, you've really changed. But we have to because we have to we have to grow up a little bit. And also yeah. we recently received social investment. And so that's been really helpful in making sure that we're not just bootstrapping. We've got a little bit of a margin to yeah. For example, we've even hired senior leadership team, and that was something that maybe two years ago we would have never thought about.
1: Yeah. Well, so the first thing I want to say is well done. I mean, that journey that you've been on, really, really difficult journey to get to you know, proving your concept and, and then getting your turnover and your profitability. And, and as you use the word growing up, I think is a really interesting way of putting it, growing up as a business and sort of getting your systems in place and having a senior leadership team you know brilliant and, and all credit to both of you um you've you've managed as a, as a result of that to you, you decided strategically that you needed to stop bootstrapping and you right. mentioned social investment um and, and actually one of the reasons we invited you on to the podcast is because two to three degrees is a, a finalist in this year's um natwest se 100 awards which we run in our social investment category so I'd like to spend a little bit of our conversation just talking about that experience with social investment and what that has meant for your organisation so Mm. at some point you thought you know how do we how do we sell how do we lift ourselves up a level and you thought well investment is the way to do that but how did you how did you find someone to invest in you um what's the journey been like
0: so honestly, we never thought about social investment because we always saw it as this big ugly shark that comes mm. and eats equity. And Carl and I have always been committed to ownership, yeah. um, and so knowing how that would work, we were just never we just never understood the machinations around it. So,
1: and quickly, l- just as when you mm-hmm. mention equity and ownership, so what's your structure? Just remind us of your legal structure
0: two to three degrees has two different companies there's two to three degrees limited
1: yeah
0: um and then we have two to three degrees cic okay. and that's by guarantee so that's the more charity-esque facing part of the yeah. company that has the where we do lock. funds yeah. exactly and that's where we apply for like funds and trusts and foundations alike yeah. so f- i think it's worth also saying that in terms of social investment it's not so common to hear about this from people of black African and Caribbean backgrounds. Like Mm. we know that there's so much data to say that we don't actually access that much finance for our companies. And so, Mm. you know, that can be one of the demises of the types of companies that we run, because as founders, you get a lot of burnout, especially if you're working in industries that you don't typically know how to navigate.
1: Yeah.
0: That being maybe like the corporate sector. So, we were talking to one of our close friends who also has a company and often speaks to different social enterprises. And although he's similar age to us, again, we're doing that peer mentoring thing. And so, we were talking about where we were in the business and he was giving us some insights of some things that we could do. Um, and luckily, he had been speaking to Sumerian and um, wanted to put forward our details to them yeah. as a potential social investee. Now, they approached us and at first, um, okay, so I'm the CEO of the company. Yeah. So I also look after finance and I'm naturally very optimistic. I'm a very positive person, but I'm also very focused on risk. Yes. (laughs) Like I always have risk in my mind. So I wasn't really too fond of having these conversations. So at first I wasn't involved in them. It was Carl at first. And then he brought me in once he felt like it was a enough conversation to kind of have which was quite useful and then I got to kind of drill in to understanding the detail and the thing that worked for us was just the openness to support us as founders and the business and Mm. what we wanted to do and it doesn't feel like in this relationship that we are giving up that sense of ownership like these investors are not coming in to tell us what to do Mm. Um, and they're not coming in either to shape our business in a different way to make it more financially viable, they're actually just guiding us along mm. some of the ideas that we already have to try and make it better. Mm. And that was really attractive to me. But more so what was more attractive, because I also look after finance, was the patient capital, and just how they structured it for us. Because when we were in, a, we wanted to be in a position where we could grow as a company and increase our staff, so that we wasn't all just running around and potentially every other day risk and burnout. Yeah. But two, give us that time to build up our capital by based on all the business that we were, we were bringing in. Yeah. So that was really, really nice. And that convinced me. Um And also the people, I guess people, people buy from people, right. And people invest in people. And so it felt genuine that they wanted to invest in us because they believed in yeah. us. And so that was quite good.
1: Have you had experiences with any other in- investors or potential investors or, and, and being frightened away by them? Or was this, or was this, the first time
0: so because of this situation I wanted to fully understand the market so I ended up talking to quite a lot of other potential investors Mm -hmm. and finding out what their terms of reference for the investment would be and how it would be shaped and stuff like that and I guess quite frankly they just didn't compare like it wasn't Mm. they said that they were social investors but to me the numbers and what they were asking to do just didn't stack up so, it was actually a really good timing for sumerian to come to us and for us to go on that journey of trying to understand because yeah. we didn't just want to take the money because we didn't know what the risks were, so yeah, it was really good. It was a really good journey.
1: I guess the market as well is full of people who are often very you know brilliant organizations but but they're offering debt most of the time in you know so most of the offers to to people like organizations like yours are. You can take out this loan at this rate of interest and pay it within this amount of time, whereas the sort of capital you're getting from Sumerian, as you you described it as patient capital. So I don't know exactly how it's structured, but I would imagine that that it's it's either equity or equity like, and it's over a much longer term. I think Sumerian tend to sort of look a, a, a more to sort of the ten year end rather than the five year end. Mm-hmm. Um, And, and yeah, there's sort of, uh, it's not, there's not the fear that you're not going to be able to pay X amount every month for the next however many years and, or or the business will be taken away from you.
0: Exactly. So how our model is, is that when we make profit and we're ready to pay shareholders, Mm. then they will get a cut of that profit that comes out of that. So Yeah. yeah, it's really, it's really flexible in that regard. And it's quite helpful
1: Great. And and how has that, so when did you get that investment and how has it helped you?
0: So we got the investment last year, April, Mm. and within that time, we have hired seven new staff members. Wow. Um, There's there's lots of things that's moving at exactly the same time. So we were already planning for growth. We wasn't planning for that much growth, but that much growth was what we needed. Mm. So it gave us a space. We also was able to invest in like new software, like I've been mentioning, which yep. has had a huge impact on the company and the people that use it and just our efficiency.
1: And I guess the money you got didn't didn't pay for all the salaries of all those new team members. But I guess what it gave you is the confidence to go out and hire them, knowing that you got some cash flow so that, you know, salaries were going to be something that you could manage. Um, and, you know, the point is that if you have all those people, they build more business for you more quickly and so that increases the, the the turnover and the profit exactly brilliant well it's great to hear um that the journey of social investment has been successful so far for you and i i think it the other thing that struck me was how important it is for good social investment to be really tailored um and thoughtful about the organisation that it's working with and you know, I think there are lots of actually really good examples of social investment that does do that. But for, for those in your position who are who haven't come across social investment before and are looking for the right partner, it can be really, really difficult, I think, to, to find people who can help you to that next level.
0: A hundred percent. And I think oftentimes business owners, small business owners, are really, micro business owners are really asked to jump through lots of hoops that might look different Mm. so we were never given a template and been like oh fill that out and that's the thing that's going to help us know whether we should invest in you instead they said what do you have help me understand how you read it Mm. okay let's work on me understanding what this means so I can go away and do my calculations and figures and I thought that
1: was so impressive and they stay in touch with you do they
0: yeah we meet up every month Mm meet up every month and we because of the relationship we've built with them we have an informal advisory board um which is just a group of mentors that help us in different industries and we invite them to come to those meetings so we'd never we we have that open relationship where we want to include them in those conversations because they're an extension of our mentors now
1: so they're on your advisory board and they mentor you are they also do they have any kind of directorships or anything more formal or or they're happy to kind of leave that to you
0: yeah, they're happy to leave that to us. And even the, the relationship being on the advisory board is not mandatory. Like, okay. we invite them, as and when. So, yeah, that's – yeah, it's quite nice that it's flexible like that as well.
1: Sounds really enlightened, yeah. Great. So, look, I want to ask you some questions about leadership now. Um, we, we talked about the kind of mechanics of the business, and you told us a bit about your background and about how it all started. But I, I'm really interested in, in how your journey as a leader Um, has gone. Um, So first of all, um, tell me what's the greatest challenge that you think you've had to face as a social enterprise leader so far?
0: Such a good question. I think um, it's myself.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Being on a journey of personal development is never ending. It's like a continuous journey. And so the first hurdle I needed to overcome was you run a company And I never even used that language. (laughs) Therefore, I didn't see myself as a business owner. Mm -hmm. Um, And that sometimes can inhibit the way you show up or the way in which you talk and the way in which you present yourself. So I think that was the very first challenge to the point that in one of those um, first year in our parents living room, Carl and I had a really important conversation, which we called the truth circle. Mm -hmm. and in it we wrote all the things that we were afraid of and then we wrote, we spoke about it and then we wrote solutions to them and one of the things that I said was I just don't know if I'm going to still be here like tomorrow and I don't know what possessed me to say it and I don't know what made me feel like that and I think Mm. looking back it probably was that sense of imposter syndrome and it probably was that sense of not believing in myself um, or not feeling credible enough to be able to go on this journey Hmm. but just saying it kind of released me from that shackle of feeling tight about it yeah um and that was a really important point in our kind of journey and trajectory is as co-founders and friends
1: it's interesting to say that you've been released from it so it's really important I think that you've managed to do that I guess the the shadow of imposter syndrome follows you around always doesn't it i mean i at least from my experience you know i've been in in this game for 20 years and i still think you know when will i get found out basically um but the the point is you you know the first stage is to be honest with yourself about that isn't it
0: Mm -hmm, definitely and you're right it is it's a shadow but it's not it's not real right Mm -hmm. like the reality of what we're calling imposter syndrome is you're going you're doing something you've never yet done before yeah and you're now having to address how to think about this new thing and so if it comes if that feeling comes again it's just another reason for you to recognize your growth but also to remind yourself of the journey you've been on before and so yeah. you're right there's been times in recent years that I've had to reflect like what is actually happening we have 14 members <laughs> of staff like what is going on why are they all asking me for advice about something um, but yeah, it's an on, it's an ongoing one. But also yeah. just knowing that you're good enough every single day you try.
1: So I'm sure you are good enough. But tell me about your biggest mistake or failure. What's what? When has something happened that you thought I've made this mistake? But you know, what have you learned from it?
0: Oh, that's a difficult one. It's a difficult one because I think mistakes and failures are it's partly a mindset as well. Hmm. And I don't necessarily I think I guess if it was something I thought about I would still probably be thinking about it yeah so there's nothing that still lands as a thing that I kind of feel like was a mistake yeah
1: how about your proudest achievements so far just still being here it's one of them (laughs) just just
0: just still being in the race and I think I didn't mention this before but I um, left my job nearly three years ago now yeah. And that was a really senior role in politics. And I built a whole identity around my political career alongside okay. the business. So there was, it was never really a conversation me and Carl needed to have because me leaving politics was never really an option or not nothing that I was going to do. Yeah. And I have. And so I, I left politics to work on the business full time. Um, and that was a huge achievement because it, it took a lot for me to process but also, yeah. I felt like it was not pushed upon me. It was the right decision, and I was more more than grateful to make it and to be in a position, and for the company to be in a position to make it.
1: I have to say, though, someone who has developed experience like you have, if you were to make a decision to go back into politics, I'd vote for you.
0: Thanks.
1: So your future, Thanks, you know,
0: I <laughs> write you down, I'll put you down in my black book of people who said they were going to vote for me. <laughs> But also, so, in terms of what business-wise, more widely, mm. sorry, about, um yeah, what we're proud of, I'm really proud of my business partner relationship, yeah. it's really, you know, it's easy for business owners to talk about the external, tangible things, but yeah. sustaining a, a a friendship and a business relationship over seven years, yeah. but a, a friendship over 13 years is, is a real testament to the work that we have to do, like, every day and the commitment we have to each other, mm-hmm. so... I think that's a huge, huge achievement for us. And then we've just moved into our own private office. Wow! Like, how did we get here from the the hotel coffee public space, parents' <laughs> living room to our own office and space? It's it's genuinely remarkable.
1: Your your so, yeah. brand up on the door or behind the reception or something.
0: Yeah, exactly. Literally, we've got like a sign coming. Um, we're thinking about placement, but yeah. yeah, and it's in a nice it's in a nice area. We're in central London which is great for us because we work across the UK. So it's easy yeah. for us to get to different places, particularly our work in London. Um, so now it's like a really nice hub for the team to kind of work together.
1: So where are you if people want to visit you?
0: Tottenham Court Road. Ah,
1: Just, right. um, yeah, oh, really social, close to yeah. Tottenham Court Road.
0: Yeah, um, on Shuff- Charing Cross Road, sorry.
1: Okay, okay. So what would your team say, do you think, are your best and worst qualities as a, as a boss?
0: Um, I'm, my best qualities are that I'm very supportive. Yeah. And I don't know if they would say this, but I will say this. My worst qualities are, I can get into the detail, sometimes. So, I might have comments on things. Yeah. And if it's if it's a team that I don't oversee, I often try to tell them, don't ask me to look at it because I will probably have a comment. And okay. if you and your line managers approved it. You're probably going to want to non not unpick some of the things. So it's learning
1: things. when not to micromanage, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And and what's keeping you awake at night at the moment? Are there are there anything are there any things that worry you in particular?
0: Um, are there any things that worry me? I think for any business, like thinking about new business, hmm. is something that's always on your mind. Um, my particular ambition right now is to make the company help the company become sustainable over a number of years so I'm looking for multi-year funding or multi-year partnership deals Um, and that's a really focused in goal of mine so it doesn't keep me up at night but I'm always thinking about things I need to do the next day
1: I guess you've had a lot of sort of project based funding or yes, we'll do this program for six months. But as you say, you you really need to be talking in sort of two or three years, don't you? Sort of contracts that last longer so you can plan better, et cetera.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think we owe it to sometimes I feel a sense of I owe it to my team to make sure that we get those deals that multi-year so that they can continue doing like really good, meaningful work with young people.
1: And how about you yourself? So if you, as a leader, have you experienced, you mentioned burnout before, has that happened to you or nearly happened to you? And how have you dealt with that?
0: No, I personally haven't. Um, I personally haven't, no. But I, I recognise signs in different members of our team sometimes when right. things can feel quite tense and tight. Yeah. So I try to think about how, to alleviate some of those pressures or think long term about how do we make well-being embedded as an important value of our company and so we have various different things we do for well-being
1: and what do you do yourself then
0: um what do i do myself i like yeah. gardening when okay. i can I'm, I'm actually looking at my garden now i'm thinking i cannot believe it needs hormone again but i'm, I'm grateful <laughs> that that's my task this weekend um i like to do some yoga i like to be outside i love also um going to new places to play games, so tonight I'll be going to a virtual clay shooting experience, yeah, um with a friend so yeah and and the business, even in the company that like, we often try play games and team meetings and stuff like that, and socials right. um so yeah, that's kind of my
1: release and and what's the next really big exciting development then on the horizon for for you and your social enterprise then? Have you got this sort of, uh, have you got a big plan or a big, I mean, obviously you can't, maybe you can't announce things now, but are there are there big projects ahead?
0: So we have just launched our Youth Voice campaign. Mm-hmm. So that's us talking about the work we've done in the property sector and the development sector. Yep. And we are going to take the industry by storm because there is so much to do. There's so much to say, there's so much to share about the work that we do and how impactful it's been. And so with all of this energy and enthusiasm, we're hosting a webinar um, on the 18th of July. And that's a free webinar for industry. And Mm -hmm. Carl and I will be giving a masterclass on how to engage young people locally. And um, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because one of my colleagues said she hasn't seen Carl and I deliver a session yet. (laughs) <laughs> um, and she she was describing us as um two legends doing it together must be so different to see. And yeah, Carl and I haven't delivered a workshop together, so it's going to be really good. It's going to be great value as well. So I'm looking Brilliant. forward
1: to that. Oh, good luck with that. All right, so we normally end um, this podcast with a series of quick fire questions where I just present two different words to you or phrases and you have to choose between one or the other. So I'm going to do that and I'm going to fire those at you right now. And, Feels like uh, a nice
0: game, Tim. Right <laughs> on my alley. <laughs> you sort <of> you like
1: <laughs> games. All right, so profit or purpose? Purpose. Business or charity?
0: Business.
1: Coffee or tea? Tea. Breakfast or lunch? Lunch. Grants or Investment. Class. Youth or experience?
0: Yeah! What
1: do you mean? <laughs> Youth. Youth. Policy or practice? Policy. Education or enterprise?
0: So many variables. Education or enterprise. Which one? Education.
1: Chocolate or cheese? Chocolate. Beach or mountains? Oh, beach. (laughs) Newspaper (laughs) or tablet? (laughs) Newspaper. Novel or Netflix?
0: Netflix.
1: A team day out or a one-to-one? Team day out. Lady Gaga or Lizzo? (sighs) Lizzo. Michelle Obama or Malala Yousafzai? Michelle Obama. Confidence or resilience?
0: resilience
1: adventure or commitment
0: adventure yeah adventure
1: you you mentioned this one earlier attitude or aptitude attitude evolution or revolution oh, oh
0: this is a hard one evolution
1: evolution as ease me not from 2 to 3 degrees thank you very much for joining the good leaders podcast thanks tim that was great thank you very much You've been listening to Good Leaders with me, Tim West, founding editor of Pioneers Post. If you like what you hear or have comments, questions or suggestions for guests, then please get in touch via Twitter at Pioneers Post or email goodleaders at pioneerspost.com.